we haven't met, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor of the Front Church. Like Amber said, new, maybe not particularly religious, maybe from another tradition, maybe watching online. We're creating the front for you because we're inviting as many people as possible to experience Jesus' story. So we're so glad you're with us this morning. We're in this teaching series. We're right in the middle of it. So we're halfway. If you've missed a few Sundays, that's fine. Like James is, James, it builds on itself, but it also, it's, it's just, it, it, it can stand alone too. And so if you're here and you're like, I don't know the first two chapters of James, it's okay. Uh, there will be stuff relevant to your life that I, uh, I promise that we discuss uh, this morning. So it's going to be good. But scripture is going to be on the screen. If you're new to the Bible, we're the perfect church for you because we try and talk about the Bible in everyday, ordinary ways so that it makes sense to you. And uh, we know that different people on different spots of their journey, some may be able to make a little more sense of it than others. That's okay. But we're going to try and just keep it, keep it real, not, not talk and kind of, uh, 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 I don't know, we're, we're going to try and talk normal about a Bible that is written for normal people. And so uh, uh, James, the, the, James's letter is an invitation to wisdom. You guys know the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is information acquisition or information accumulation where you're learning, learning, learning. And we are growing in knowledge all the time. But the difference between growing in knowledge and growing in wisdom is wisdom actually stops. Wisdom sits with that bit of knowledge, that bit of information, chews on it, doesn't move past it, and lets that affect your life. And James is an invitation to grow in wisdom. Who is James? Well, James was the brother of Jesus. Uh, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was martyred in uh, A.D. 62, so that his letter was written before then. Um, he was Jewish. He writes a letter to a group of Jewish Christians scattered all over the world, and that's the letter that we're reading, um, um, his, his letter. Now, we, when we read the Bible, we've got to remember James, was, the Bible was written, hey, I got a text message. Sorry about that. Uh, James was written for us, but not to us. The Bible was written for us, not to us. If we read ourselves as the central character of the Bible, we'll, we'll, we'll misread it. But if we read it, who it's written to, we'll learn a lot from it, and we'll glean a lot from it. Uh, I put together a resources page for you guys, too. If you want to dig deeper, if you want to read along during the week, you can go to frontchurch.com slash James. That has a reading plan for you. That has some resources to dig a little deeper. It has an audio Bible. Maybe you guys aren't my readers, and you're like, but I can listen to the Bible. Man, use, use the Streetlights audio Bible. It's cool. They put a little bit of music behind it. Uh, you can listen through James in 15 minutes. You can listen to the whole thing. So utilize that resource page. The Bible Project folks say of James that following Jesus is not only about agreeing with theological information, but Jesus' followers become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. So things we're trying to keep in mind with when we read through James, uh, one, and we're going we're to really hunker down on this in a minute, but social media and how we conduct ourselves. James would have a lot to say 
about how we conduct ourselves on social media. I think James is also particularly relevant for a season and a year like this year for us in the United States. We are in an election season, and people will have strong opinions. And it's not wrong to have strong opinions, maybe on either side of the aisle, but James wants us to conduct ourselves differently than how people who are not Christians conduct themselves. James wants us to interact with one another differently than how the media or how other folks want us to interact or argue or yell or whatever else. And so James is particularly relevant for our moment. I like to pick a a book of the Bible at the beginning of the year to work through as a church, and so this is the one. And uh, we are in James chapter 3, and we are going to get after it. And so you can turn on or open it, and it'll be on the screen. And here we go. James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, To make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Jesus, we thank you for the scripture, and we pray that you would guide our time in it, and that we would not just grow in knowledge and in knowledge acquisition, but our time together would be time where we grow in wisdom. In your name, amen. So for James... Speech measures maturity. I don't like that. Um, That's a quote from uh, this little book right here from Scott McKnight. Um, It was 
July 4th weekend, and I was living in Minneapolis, Minnesota with uh, Robin. We'd been married a, a, a couple years, and we had family come and visit. And uh, it was, because it's 4th July weekend, we're doing fireworks. And so we're lighting some fireworks in our front yard and having a good time. And uh, they did something I'd never seen anyone do before, because I'm a native of the, of the Midwest. And I live, I've lived in Minnesota longer than anywhere else I lived. I lived in Minnesota 14 years, in Minneapolis 12 years. They, they filled a, a big Home Depot bucket full of water, and then when they were done with their fireworks, they put them in the water. It's like, why are they doing this? Well, any Utah knows why you do that. You do that because a spark can set a whole forest ablaze, as James says. Minnesotans are so moist and wet and humid that your fireworks can fall on your grass. You're going to be just fine. You're not going to light anything on fire. Everything's gravy. But I was remembering that because James says a small spark sets a forest ablaze, and there's fires everywhere. In his community, there's a bunch of fires. One of the fires is just like people are divorcing. They, they think that you can worship God, but live in a way that doesn't look anything like you're actually worshiping God. They, they, they think you can love God without loving your neighbor. That's what they think. And James is like, this is crazy. And we've talked about this the past few weeks and how Jesus doesn't separate love of God and love of neighbor, but he puts them together. And so this is creating fires. Another fire that's happening in James' context is there's some Jewish revolutionaries who are condoning violence and condoning murder of, of Jewish aristocrats. And they're getting ready for a revolution. And we can look historically, and we know that this happens because in AD 66, there's a famous Jewish revolution and Jewish revolt where they try and win their freedom violently from the Romans, and it goes poorly, and the Jerusalem temple is ultimately destroyed. And so James is trying to put out that fire too, and is like, whoa, 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 how they're conducting themselves is not how we conduct ourselves, even if you put a bunch of religious language around it. We do with fires all the time. I love how James uh, says uh, that, let's see, let's get to this one right here. He says, uh, oh yeah, a great force is set on fire by a small spark, and then the next slide says, um, the tongue can set the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Like, this, the tongue's got some power, right? There's fires happening, and we see the fires happening in political discourse in our day. We see the fires happening on Twitter. We experience the fires maybe in personal relationships. Maybe every one of us has set fires with our tongue or been the victim of fires because they were set by someone else. You know what I'm saying? So James here, though, we've been returning to this idea again and again. He's always unpacking Jesus' teaching. And there's a moment where the religious leaders in Jesus' day are concerned with Jesus not keeping a specific ceremonial ritual when it comes to washing hands around um, dinner time. 
not saying it's a bad thing to wash your hands, but there's some other stuff going on. It's kind of a loaded moment. And Jesus gets a little fed up with the religious crowd. It's not the first time or the last time Jesus is going to get fed up with people who are religious. And in Mark chapter 7, it says, uh, Jesus replied to the religious people he's upset with. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And then a little later in that same story, he says, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And then Jesus says it again, a few verses later, what comes out of a person defiles them. Here's the big takeaway from Jesus. According to Jesus, the good words that come from our mouths may not reflect our hearts. But the bad words that come from our mouths do reflect our hearts. And James is just taking this teaching of Jesus and unpacking it for his audience. And he's saying, man, this, uh, he says, with our tongues, we praise God, and with it, we curse one another. Right? But what he's doing in this kind of indictment of his audience is he's just inviting them to examine how they're using their language and allow that to reveal what's happening in their hearts because our reactions are revelations. And he says, you know, you, you, fresh water and salt water don't come from the same source. Or a fig tree doesn't grow olives. They don't come from the same tree. Like, if your reaction is something, but you're saying something else, notice the disconnect here. And so he's inviting people to look, to be a little introspective about, hey, how you're using your language is revealing something about the interior of your life. A small spark can be devastating. And then he says, no human being can tame the tongue. And you know, like, here I imagine us like having a little dialogue with James. And James is like, don't get angry. And we're like, well, yeah, yeah oh, okay, James. You know, be careful with your language. Yeah, oh, okay, James. Uh, don't say things in the heat of the moment. Yeah, okay, James. But how? Like, I just throw my hand. Like, how, how did we do this? And James is tracking with us because he's like, I don't know. We all stumble in different ways. That's what he says in, in, in chapter 3, verse 2. And he says, no one can tame the tongue. Like, I get that this is difficult. But if we pay attention to what he goes on to write, we'll pick up a couple hints and a couple of tips. So I want to look at a few of James's tips that he invites us to think about or do or incorporate in our lives as we're looking to tame the tongue. Um, James invites us to a life of wisdom. Uh, that's what he goes on in, in, in verse 13. He says, who is wise among you? Like he's, he's inviting his audience to not just accumulate knowledge, but to grow in wisdom, which means examine how you're using your language and allow that to be a window into your inner world. 
the wise person splits these two. Well, that, that reaction wasn't really me. Those words weren't really me. That's, 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 that's a, a knowledge acquisition person. The wise person looks at the language and the reactions. Oh, that was me. He's inviting us into a life of wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 2. He says, we all stumble. So like this isn't like a superiority thing or anything. He's not saying someone's better than another person. He's like, we're all dealing with this. He levels the playing field, and that's good to remember. That's a good tip. Like if we think that, uh, like, if we forget this, if we think some people got it nailed and some people don't, then we are less inclined to admit when we fail or when we screw up. But if we realize we all stumble, we all screw this up, we all mess this up, no one can tame the tongue, then we are more inclined to admit when we have fallen short. Does that make sense? We all stumble. Verse 9, this is a clue. And it's kind of just tucked in there, and we'll miss it if we just zoom past it. But he talks about how with our tongue we praise God and with it we curse human beings made in God's likeness. That's a tip. We have to remember that human beings, all human beings, every single human being, doesn't matter if you politically disagree with them, doesn't matter if they're from a different country, doesn't matter if they're from... Um, uh, fill in the blank. Human beings, all human beings are made in the likeness of God. And we have to keep that in perspective. And he's inviting them to keep it in perspective. Then we talked about this last week, but 14 times through his letter, he refers to brothers and sisters. Three times in chapter 2, he does it a couple times right here in chapter 3 in verse 10 and verse 12. What is he doing here? He's reminding them that in Jesus, we are a new family. In Jesus, we are a new community. In Jesus, that means we relate to one another in a new way. Often we may ask ourselves the question like, how do we affect social change? That's a good question. That's a question to wrestle through. That's a question that different Christians are going to come up with maybe some different ideas. But James would say that the number one way before anything else, change starts in the house. Change starts in the family. How do we affect social change? First, first, we begin here. Brothers and sisters, how we relate to one another as family, how we forgive one another, how we show one another grace. Will this bleed out and bleed over? Oh, 100%. It's meant to bleed out and bleed over. But there's debate sometimes about how to affect social change out here. And it's okay. Well-meaning Christians may disagree. But you start by affecting social change in here. And so he's just reminding them of that. Like, don't forget who you're talking to when you use your words. Brothers and sisters, new family. In chapter 1, James says, uh, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because 
Man's anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Well, that's great, James. But again, how? How? Um, I love this because one of the things James does, and we see it in chapters 1 and 2, and we're not going to reread those. I'm just going to retell it right now. But he says, chapter 1, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then chapter 2, he has this kind of confrontive moment with them because he's got some issues that he wants to call out. But you know what he does? Instead of just like jabbing them with a point, he turns his point into a question. One of the ways that we can be quick to listen, one of the ways we can grow as conversationalists, one of the ways we can grow in becoming less combative and more of a listener is to turn our points into questions. Instead of making a point, turn it into a question. He does that in chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. He's asking some deep introspective questions for his audience to consider. Because James knows that sometimes people don't need something rammed down their throat. Sometimes people just need to consider some stuff that may get their wheels spinning a little bit. If you want to grow in your listening capabilities, turn your points into questions. Um, my friend Jeff, who uh, preached here at the front in November and operates the Hello Saints YouTube channel, um, Jeff's his kind of line is, turn your criticism into curiosity. That's another great way to... Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry is a shift gears from criticism to curious. James here, again, he's inviting us into wisdom. Like, who is wise among you? And then he tells them, like, what they should do and how they, they act out of, out, of, out of humility. And... Um, um, I think that one of the things that, we, that James invites us into, um, and he gets very specific in the second part of James chapter 3 when he names worldly wisdom as like earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, is he, he names a reality. And I think sometimes we're kind of bad at naming realities and then we have some sort of explosion. We talked about this in our anger sermon series in September, is that oftentimes we're not really in touch with how we're feeling or, we, or, or, or like the different things that kind of pile up that set us, set us off. And we don't really know how to name those feelings. We don't, oh, that made me mad or that made me angry or that made me sad. We're so out of touch because we're just looking on our device or trying to run from our feelings. And then this just piles, 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 and then... Boom, explosion, right? Wisdom looks at the explosion and was like, wait, is that all from this thing? Or was there this pile over here that I was just not paying attention to? Wisdom begins to sit over here before the explosion. That's what James is inviting us into. Another thing James doesn't tell us to do here, but he would tell us to do, is when you screw up, because you will, because we will all set fires and we will all be victims of fires with our tongues, apologize. Don't just pretend like everything's okay. Own it. I'm sorry. I should not have talked to you that way. 
I'm sorry, I said, I said those things, name the things. I was wrong to say that. Will you forgive me? And then James goes on. Let's keep going. He says, James chapter uh, 3, verse 14 through 16, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, don't boast. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. So James is actually addressing a type of wisdom that is, that's more like the cultural current of their day. Like there are some things that are celebrated, but he's like, no, that's not good, but they're celebrated in the culture. And, and so this is important, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about our social, social media and four serious problems with social media. This is also from Scott McKnight's James and Galatians uh, Everyday Bible Study Book. But Scott McKnight says, social media reveals our problems. And so, yeah, is that, is that where he says it? Nope, 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 nope. Missed that slide. But social media reveals our problems. He says, we have some serious problems. Problem number one says, is uh, we are developing a diminished capacity for genuine conversation. Social media is leading to a diminished capacity to interact with one another on a one-on-one basis. He says that uh, 40% um, uh, empathy has receded 40% among college students um, from a recent study by a dude named Turkle, maybe a female named Turkle, if we don't know. Just says Turkle on the thing. More families eat dinner with a device next to their plate. We're developing a diminished capacity to have conversation with one another. That's a problem. That will lead to us setting fires with our tongues. He says, uh, second, and Andrew King clicked through these as I read through them. Second, we're being influenced or formed and perhaps controlled by the bots. Um, the algorithms on our social feeds are, are designed to know what's going to light us up, and then that's how the people are going to make money, is us clicking or reacting to, to things. And it's just, it's, it, it's really fascinating to me um, because Scripture talks all the time about like spiritual forces, and sometimes I have a hard time getting my mind around that. And then I think about an algorithm whose design is literally to get me riled up. And that kind of helps me think through spiritual forces for a second, this impersonal force that is literally creating disorder and sowing seeds of disorder and chaos. That's the second problem. The third problem, social media especially capitalizes on our desire to be recognized as important. The more likes, the more affirmations. Like, social media capitalizes on outrage. And so uh, this is what James is kind of talking about here when he says, don't boast. He says, I'm going to flip it to 3.14. He says, but in, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. What's going on with some of the ways that we interact or engage on social media is we're kind of praised for our outrage. If people react, it makes us feel kind of good on the inside. 
People like a post that's a little more preachier, a little more calling out. It kind of feels good, like, ooh, who liked this? Or, ooh, this, this post is garnering a lot of attention. And James is actually saying, like, hey, we got to be really careful about this. Don't boast. That sort of affirmation is not, that doesn't necessarily mean you said something good. Number four, Scumming Knight says, is the digital, and I think this is money, the digital world, a disembodied interaction. And we are embodied people who need the presence of other bodies to be who are designed by God to be. I think that there's nothing wrong with social media. It's neutral. But it can be a tool used for great good and it can be a tool used for great harm. But I think as Christians, and specifically if we're talking about James and we're talking about how we use our tongue, I bet that if he wrote this today, he would talk about the power of the fingers. How the fingers could be a spark that lights a whole forest on fire. I feel like he would just adjust it a little bit because honestly, that is the, those are the types of seeds that are sowing disorder and, and, and wreaking chaos. And the way that we interact on social media, and we are losing our capacity to interact genuinely with one another. We bring assumptions. We find out someone believes something politically, and we group them in, and we think that they must believe every other thing that this political party that we don't like believes because they hold one persuasion. And then we don't have any curiosity. We don't ask them about it. We don't say, well, tell me more about that. We just group them in and write them off. For James, he says, brothers and sisters, because social change always begins in the house. So we learn how to interact and be curious with one another and get along in here so that it will bleed out there. And this will be especially relevant to us as we get closer and closer to our primaries and as we get closer and closer to November. We track in. Today's Communion Sunday. And Communion Sunday, Communion is something we celebrate monthly at the front. But Communion unites us to the church globally and reminds us that not all Christians look like us, act like us. From Communion unites us with people who look different, who are from different countries, who speak different languages. It reminds us of the global community that Jesus put together. Communion unites us with the church historically. For 2,000 years, the church has practiced this where we take bread and it's broken and we remember Jesus' body broken for us. And we take the cup, wine or grape juice, sorry to disappoint, but we take wine or grape juice and we, and, and we remember Jesus' blood poured out for us. This unite, the church has done this for 2,000 years. Communion is not about what we bring to the table. This is the perfect Sunday for communion. Because all of us are familiar with the fires we've started and the fires we've been victims of. And that can be heavy, sometimes real heavy. And we can feel unworthy and feel like, ah, oh, Jesus doesn't want me. But that's not how communion works. Communion isn't about what we bring to the table. It's, about, it's an acknowledgement, oh, Jesus, I need you. That's all, I, I need you. I need your forgiveness I need your grace. I desperately need it. 
And Jesus doesn't refuse that request. Communion reminds us Jesus is always ready to respond to that request. But just like James tells us, a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. That's not just a negative reality. That's a pos- that can be, there can be, there are bad fires, but there can be good fires. Let me tell you about a good fire that was started by a good spark. Jesus was in a room with his disciples. And um, he says, <clears throat> says, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is a cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That's a good spark. Jesus spoke those words, and the world began to change because people began to realize, oh, this is what God is like. This is who God is. God is not the God who waits for me to be worthy to then come to me. God, these disciples knew. They knew who was sitting around the table, Right? And yet Jesus says, this is for you. This is the good spark that starts the good fire that changes the world. Here's another example of a good spark, of a good fire. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Until this moment, this is not how martyrs died. You can look at a popular Jewish uh, martyr story, the Maccabean Revolt, and you can see these guys who are about to die are like, you guys are going to rot in your grave after you kill us, and God's going to vindicate us, and we hope you go to hell. I mean, that's basically what they say. And yet Jesus, look at the spark that became a good fire that has set the world ablaze, where he, while being crucified, says, forgive them. Forgive them. Jesus, with his word, has changed and is changing the world. And he invites us now to come to him wherever we're at, whatever we're feeling, with our guilt, our shame, our heartache, our sadness, our grief. We come to him and he meets us. And he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And he offers us forgiveness. And then we practice with his spirit living in us what it means to follow him and the implications that has on how we use our language. Don't get it nailed. We all stumble different ways, James says. No one can tame the tongue, but we're going to work on surrendering this to Jesus, knowing that he has a new way for us to relate to God, to one another, and to the world around us. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that we remember that when we come to you, it's not about what we bring, but it's actually about what we don't bring. But yet you meet us anyway. We come right now to meet you. Do work in our midst and in our lives and in our community. In your name.
Amen.